What's up, brother? And welcome to the Becoming Kings podcast. I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and men's lifestyle fulfillment coach. I've dedicated my life to helping men who feel like they're just not living up to their full potential to level up and become the king of their kingdoms. So whether you've been feeling stuck or numb or extremely angry with not living up to your greatest potential in any area of your life, then I'll be in your ears every week dropping some truly transformative episodes to help you become a man that you're proud to be. I'm glad you're here. Let's get to it. Yo, it's Johnny King with another episode of the Becoming Kings podcast. I'm with my man, Mike Ligori. How are you, brother? I am good, my friend. Dude, it's so good to see you. I think I haven't seen you since, what was it, last, was it last, was it February? That yeah, whenever you? that was, when, when we came and visited you. <laughs> I have no idea. Now. Whenever that was. Are, yeah, whatever that was. But I saw you, I think, I think <laughs> I saw you like four months ago, but I felt like I saw you like two years ago. Yeah, truth, truth. Um, yeah, it's funny how fast time flies and then it doesn't fly by when we have a pandemic, you know, that we've been all recovering from. So I know it's wild, man. Mike, so, uh, Mike is a buddy who, who used to live in Denver and now resides down in Arizona. Um, fascinating guy that I've really enjoyed getting to know. He's written a book that we're going to dive into. Uh, you've also helped me out with my own podcast, uh, kind of set up and everything else so you just fill everyone in on kind of the the plethora of things that you do and you've got going on well i i mean first of all just thank you man for having me on the show i'm, I'm excited yeah. to be here and 100%. uh currently yeah currently what i do for um i'm an entrepreneur i have a couple ventures right now but the two main ventures uh, that i am currently in right now is i run a podcast agency called live your truth media and we work with brands and businesses to help them build communities through podcasting Yep. I've been doing that for about five years, really to enjoy it. I think it's just such a powerful medium. And it's really, to me, just one of the best ways to build rapport and relationship with anybody, not just customers or clients, just with yeah. people. Right. Uh, so I've been doing that for about five years. And then uh, the new venture I have now is that uh, I wrote this book called The Road Ahead and Miles Behind, a story of healing, redemption between father and son. And uh, I've told you a little bit about it kind of offline, so to mm -hmm. speak, offline recording. But it's a story about my dad and I, we took a road trip, 11-day uh, road trip during the middle of the COVID pandemic. And after 30 years of just a really tumultuous relationship that we have, a very up and down, um, very up and down relationship that we have, we were able to heal it over 11 days. And a lot of epiphanies, breakthroughs happened, not only just between my dad and I, but also with myself. And so uh, the book is coming out uh, the week before Father's Day, so June 14th. And I'm also uh, diving into helping people heal their relationships with their parents so they can have massive breakthroughs in their life, just like I had. Um, and maybe that's through a road trip or maybe that's just through a series of tough conversations. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've been open and honest about my kind of story with my mm -hmm. dad too. And a lot of that healing came over conversations around the kitchen island, you know? Yeah. So mm -hmm. uh, it's just time, you know, it's just like quality time, getting to know your parents uh, as human beings. Right. And I know you kind of yes. talk a lot about this, but if you don't mind, maybe, maybe rewind a little bit just to, to give sure. the, the listeners a little bit more of a background as to like that tumultuous relationship you had with him. Like, what was your childhood? Like, what was your relationship with, with him or lack thereof? Like, yeah. and, uh, how far did, has the, 
have you come to where you've healed a lot of that? But uh, yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely. Give yeah. some backstory. Well, uh, hopefully you have a soft reclining chair uh, for me to <laughs> yeah. lay my head. You know, go back when I'm sick. Uh, yeah. No, I won't start there. Um, you know, my childhood was, I grew up with a, with a family that, you know, I described in the book, it's two worlds, you know, and I, before the age of eight, my mom and dad were together and, you know, my dad was an entrepreneur. He's been an entrepreneur for as long as I can remember. And we did okay. We did well. We were just like everybody else. Uh, we lived in San Carlos, California, which is, if you guys are familiar with the Bay area, uh, San Francisco and San Jose, it's like the exact split. It's like the middle point between uh, that length of the peninsula. It wasn't until about eight years old when my dad and my mom decided to divorce. And at that time, like most young kids, you start immediately thinking because we're so open to the world. We're so open. We're so creative and we have imaginations that we're also very sensitive. And so on the receiving end of that, immediately, the first thing I thought about was mom and dad split in was my fault. So the one world that I lived through separated into two worlds. And the first world was living at mom's house, Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, and every other weekend. And that world was mom didn't have a college education at the time, didn't have a job. And all she was left with was a house. So imagine a single mother raising two boys. And, you know, Johnny, we were not, my brother and I were not easy. Uh, so that, so we didn't contribute to any sort of growth <laughs> or positivity. It just right. came me out of this hole. Right. Um, but what I, but what I will say is, is that at that, at that point in time, we're dealing with a single mother who's building herself back up at the time that my brother and I were finding ourselves as young boys into men. And so there were some months where, you know, mom was go to Costco and come back and have food and say, Hey, you guys can have seconds. And we were growing boys. Like we're not small kids, you know, at the time, like we were right. shooting through the roof. I think I wore like a size 12 in like seventh grade. And that was like yeah. unheard of. Yeah. Right, you know, right. That was, that, that was, that was rough. Yeah, um, visions of the NBA at that point. Yeah. But you know, dude, I had some Jordans <laughs> at the time too. And I thought it was like, so cool, but they were so big on me. I was kind of like a Newfoundland puppy, like really big hands, like big feet, <laughs> but like did not fill out my body yeah. until I was probably about like a junior in high school. Uh, again, we'll, I digress. Yeah. Um, but at the time, but at the time when you have, when you're, when you have this dynamic of a single mom, but I'm going to Costco, buying food and one month saying, oh, you and your brother can have seconds if you'd like to, or, hey, there's more than enough food. And then the next month going, uh, you might want to watch a little bit mm-hmm. about how much you're taking, monitoring and rationing your food. There were some months where we were going, man, are we going to make it? Mm-hmm. Somehow, by the grace of God, we were able to do that. Um, and so that, that life of Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and every other weekend was really like the core of like my Sunday through Saturday week. But with dad, it was different. My dad moved into a house three miles away from where my mom was. So I would pack my duffel bag. I would go to the house on Wednesday night, right after school. And dad was making good money. Dad, my dad has always had money for as long as I've known him. He's always been smart with it. He's financially just been blessed with it. And there was no such thing as not enough. But he also put in the mindset that it didn't matter how much you achieved in life or how much you accumulated, you still had to work for it. I remember Mm -hmm. doing manual labor and I would remember like chopping firewood and like, you know, gardening and all of these things, but, you know, uh, doing fence posts, you know, the, just doing farm work, right. Cause we had a house up in, uh, we had a house up in Napa County too. And so when you live in this dynamic, 
it didn't dawn on me until probably about a year ago when I was in the course of writing this book that I had lived my entire life out of a duffel bag. Mm. So imagine what comes up when your entire life is living out of the lens of not having any sort of stability or safety net of a permanent home. You're constantly bouncing back and forth. So here I am living this life out of a duffel bag from the age of eight all the way to 18. I joined the Marines. I come home after two tours of duty in Iraq. And at the entire time, still living out of that bag. So imagine eight years yeah. old, 18, that's 10 years. Then you're doing two deployments in a year overseas in Japan. So I'm living more out of bags. Mm-hmm. My entire life up until probably my late 20s, I started realizing was all living out of the bag. Mm. So what's the mindset with that? I never knew what was safe. I was always prepared to leave as soon as I got in somewhere. Even with my dad in the relationship, anytime I entered a conversation with him or any sort of time that I entered a relationship with him that involved uh, creating moments or experiences, I already had my backpack, my backpack for the door. Mm -hmm. So checking in and also checking out, always protecting myself. How many of us have done that with our own parents Mm -hmm. based on the dynamic how we were raised? So fast forward, 2020 hits the year we all love. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm in debt, you know, and I'm in Denver, Colorado at the time. And, you know, I, our mutual friend, Dan, you know, we, Dan is a, a very good friend of mine. And as you know, Dan, he's a very, very wise, very aware. And I was telling Dan, I said, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to ever have a real relationship with my father. And he said, well, what does that mean to you? I said, I, you know, honestly, I'd be lucky if I just had cordial ground to walk on with him. Mm. That's it. So saying that out loud for the first time was tough. It was tough to admit that, that maybe deep down, I didn't really like my dad. Maybe deep down, I didn't really respect him. Maybe deep down, I, maybe this is even a strong word, but I hate him. Mm -hmm. Because I've been chasing for his affection for so long to prove that I was worth anything because when you're a young boy, your dad is the first person that you see that represents what it means to be a man. Mm-hmm. And so you're already measuring yourself up against the expectations of your father and that bar that was set. That's the standard that they said. It doesn't matter if your dad, if you think your dad's a great dad or he's an amazing dad or not a good dad. That's the bar that you're either trying to meet or surpass. And we're always feeling like we're behind that bar. So for me with my dad at that time, I was like, you know, maybe, maybe talking about stocks and college football and, you know, business and every once in a while, maybe some life advice and disagreement about politics. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's all we're meant to talk about until maybe he passes. And out of nowhere, uh, three weeks before my 38th birthday, or excuse me, my 37th birthday, he, uh, He calls me up on the phone and says, hey, do you have a minute? And I said, sure. I'm figuring we're going to start talking about the same stuff as I had mentioned before. My dad says, you know, you and I have never really spent a lot of quality time together, which was shocking. I have to say, which was shocking to hear from him. And he Mm -hmm. said, how would you like to go on a road trip with me? We'll drive from Las Vegas all the way to Sebring, Florida to go watch the 12 hours of Sebring, which is a very famous automotive race. Um, For all you guys that are listening, you should look it up. It's a very cool race. It's super fun. And we're going to drive in a sprinter van with each other. (laughs) Now, let me take a step back for a second and just paint this picture for everybody. 
here's my dad after almost 30 years of tumultuous relationships, seeking his approval, totally wanting just nothing but love and affection from him, battling these ideas of lack of self-worth and limiting beliefs and not thinking and scarcity mindset and fear, things that I inherited in generational traits and curses. And my dad's asking me to spend 11 days in the van with him. What did you think was going to happen? And it's funny. And it's funny. And it's funny, Johnny. I sat there going, this is, you know, maybe my chance to finally tell him to screw off mm-hmm. once and for all, because now this was something he wanted for me. He was chasing after me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm going to say no to him. And the moment I was just about to say no to him, I heard this voice in my head. And the voice came out and it sounded uh, very much like James Earl Jones uh, from Lion King, <laughs> Mufasa. Yeah. And uh, I identify it as the voice of God. And the voice said to me, uh, Michael, you need to go on this trip with your dad. It may be the only one that you get with him. Hmm. And so I stopped and I heard my dad selling me like he was Don Draper and Mad Men. And he was a former ad agency guy too. So it's kind of in his blood to like paint you a picture and show you uh, and show you kind of, you know, this is the future. This is the now, this is true happiness, you know, just kind of like uh, Johnny M used to do. And um, I remember the moment that I recognized that I wanted to say yes to him. And this was this trip and I had to go on this trip. I said, yes. And he was excited. But then I remember getting off that phone after we had gotten off the phone and tried to coordinate plans. I go, what did I just say yes to? <laughs> right. And, and I'll just leave it there for now and just kind of open it up to receive whatever you got on your mind. Well, I think it's pretty, pretty cool. And I think we, we, you know, we've talked about it offline, but we have a lot in common in different, in different ways in terms of that relationship or yeah. lack with, with dad, a lot of <clears throat> repressed anger, resentment, yeah. um, lack of uh, respect. While simultaneously wanting so badly our father's, uh, you know, approval and love, right. And attention, um, Mm -hmm. which is such a tough place to be when, when you almost, uh, as a man and as well, as a child and now as, as an adult to like, and that is what kind of brings on the hate is like, why do I want this love? Why can't I just be good enough, you know, good enough because of, I, because of my own self-love. Right. And so yeah. it's a, it's an interesting dichotomy between that, um, the yin and the yang, if you will, of, uh, not wanting, but then also wanting simultaneously, you know, and, yeah. uh, you kind of having grown up living out of that duffel bag too. Uh, it, it's, it's fascinating to me. I grew up in a different way, but similar mm-hmm. in terms of like my dad being an entrepreneur in the houses, uh, on the market, off the market, on the market, off the market, depending yeah. on cash flow, And I grew up with a very scarcity focused mindset of like, when is it all going to be taken away? You know, like sure. you can never guarantee, uh, you know, feel like tomorrow will be there. Right. Yeah. So I feel like uh, it's pretty cool that you were brought to listening to that kind of voice and funny that mm-hmm. James Earl Jones voice spoke yeah. to you clearly, you know, <laughs> um, but what was it like when you kind of stepped into that, uh, that road trip, were you, did you eventually come to a place of like being settled and be like, okay, this is gonna be really good. Or were you really nervous leading up to literally the the first couple of miles of, of that trip? Did you have any expectations (laughs) for it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's it's natural to have expectations for anything when you're around your dad. And I think you yeah. know, it's something you touched on as well when you talk about the dichotomy of, you know, hate and love at the same time or like yeah. and dislike. And I think yeah. some of us can really relate to that. We spend our entire lives trying to somehow seek approval and acceptance from the people that raised us, because in our eyes, if we get mom and dad to love us and care about us, then we've made it. We've identified our complete self-worth and value in the world. Everything can go completely wrong. Everything can go wrong. But if mom and dad look at us and say, you know what? You're my son. I love you. That's enough for a lot of people. That's enough for a lot of people. It is natural for us, especially in this country, for us to want more. But I want, I want people to acknowledge and think about this for a second, is that most of the pain that we have with specifically with our parents comes from the idea that we can change them. And it's interesting because when we were kids, our parents were trying to change us. Don't jump on the bed. You have to eat your vegetables before you go and eat dessert. You can't stay up too late. And then as we grow up as men specifically, and our parents getting older, dad and mom want to let loose and go do their stuff. And then we're like, dad, you shouldn't be buying a hot rod right now. What are you doing? You're 78 years old. Or mom, <laughs> right. you're playing pickleball? Like my mom goes and plays pickleball. My mom's like in her 70s. And like she's yeah. out there like crushing pickleball three nights a week. And, you know, I know some parents, some of my friends that are like, God, I'm so worried my mom's going to like break her hip and stuff. But if you really think about it, the same stuff that they were doing to me as a kid, you know, inherently, I was almost doing that the same way to my dad, specifically. My mom and I have a different relationship, and it's a completely different dynamic. But when we're specifically talking about my dad, I always wanted him to change. So imagine that relationship, right? My dad's telling me this, this, and this, and I'm absorbing this image and this like idea that I'm not worth it to him. But then as I get older, I'm like, you know, I just want you to change dad. I just want you to see it from my eyes. So imagine having that sit on my brain for all of those years and then going into a road trip. Hell yeah, I was nervous because here I am sitting in the back of my head going, man, is this the last trip that we're ever going to have together? Is there going to be pure acceptance? Is there going to be love in this cabin? Is it going to be fighting? My dad's a very meticulous man. He likes things done a certain type of way. And who am I to tell him that that's not efficient enough? My dad has a system he's been doing for 50 freaking years. And I'm talking about systems in terms of everything from the way that his tool shed is organized to the way that the coffee is organized in his house, how he goes about his day. He's a very systematic guy. So who am I to sit there and tell him, dad, you got to change the way that you look at me. That's where a lot of our anger and hate and frustration comes. This is not from ourselves. It's our relationship to our fathers specifically. So imagine I've tried to change my dad and I have this relationship with him and he looks at it like, I don't understand why you don't like me. Because I told him in the van, I, I don't really like you, dad. I haven't really liked you for a long time. So the receiving end of that on his end was a little shocking. The expectation of us changing any sort of relationship that we had until it was frightening because I actually deep down was very comfortable with me not liking him. But I really also, the inner child, right? The young Mike who was eight years old really truly wanted acceptance and love from him. And so it's hard. It was hard, but you know, it's the first day 
the first day kind of felt like um, I was like a congressional hearing. Like I was on the, the panel, right? And there's my dad in the driver's seat. And he's kind of like, look at the open road. And I'm like, so tell me, dad, like, why did you divorce mom? Like, really, what was it? Or remember when I was 16, blah, 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 right? That, that's, that was where my line of thinking was going. And, uh, and one thing that happened on that road trip that I thought was really fascinating is, is that, and I talk about this in the book, there comes a moment in time where you start learning that your parents are never going to change. So it's better for you to try to understand your parents if you really want to before you were born to answer all the questions that you've ever had about them. And the thought came into my mind and I heard that voice again that said, Michael, ask your dad what he was like before he was born. And the moment I asked him that question, my dad has never really truly been open about his past till he's gotten older. That question cracked him wide open. Everything. It's the power of uh, a perfectly timed question. <laughs> but yes. that question was coming from maybe a more divine source than, uh, than from a place of hurt or mm -hmm. agony. But I, I, I do know, and I, you know, looking kind of more at your book and that sort of thing, I do know, and you're more or less talking to it is the, the power of acceptance Yeah. versus like you said, I mean, whether we're talking about our parents or stress, overwhelm, anything in life, mm -hmm. it's, it's all because of our resistance to what actually is right. Yes. Like, mm -hmm. Hey, this is how life is actually showing up, you know, in 2020, let's say, but our yeah. resistance to, you know, all the, the craziness that happened that year was what created uh, the anxiety, the fear, yeah. the, the, so kind of cool that you talk about, you know, acceptance and forgiveness, but maybe you could kind of step into uh, a little bit more of that conversation as you're having these talks with your dad and asking these questions, learning about who he was before you were born, uh, mm -hmm. which I think maybe gave you a little bit more perspective to just accept him for who he who he is, who he was, yes. who he is in this present moment, which ultimately would, I would imagine, lead to forgiveness. But expand on that, if you don't mind, the acceptance yeah, of forgiveness. Yeah, totally. And, I, and I'd love to, to dive in what you said earlier, too, about the dynamic with you and your father, because, you know, for me, acceptance and forgiveness is such a it's they're like the two biggest superpowers that we have. And oftentimes, you know, and I had said this before, we often blame mom and dad for the circumstances and situations that we're in. We often blame mom and dad that, you know, we didn't achieve anything in life because, you know, mom and dad thought that we weren't, um, you know, that we should have been a, a writer in high school and sophomore year in high school, but we decided to go into tech. And, and, and like, I'm, I'm not even kidding. My mom said sophomore year, you know, you should really consider pursuing being a writer. And I remember telling her that's stupid. No one wants to be right. And then here I am, mom, look at me two books later. And so <laughs> mother yeah, knows best, right? But yeah, it is interesting. Sure. But it is interesting, though, because, you know, the entire time we blame everybody else inherently because it's really scary for us to take acceptance of responsibility that things didn't pan out the way that we thought they would. More so because of the fact it's easier to say, hey, mom and dad created the fact that I'm broke. No, 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 no. You created the fact that you were broke. Mom and dad didn't do anything to it. So I want everybody to acknowledge is that it is not the person, the financial crisis, the situation, the circumstances out in the world, especially right now, that have created your pain or your perspective on your own self-worth. It is your relationship to those things 
that has created the lens in which you see yourself. If you can change that, and if you can shift that total dynamic from that of, I'm not worth anything because I don't have money now because the stock market crashed, or mom and dad created, spent their money poorly, and now I'm broke and my financial future is done. It's very important to distinguish that because once you learn to accept the fact that you are not responsible for other people's actions, you're only responsible for your choices and your actions, this is where you can truly become free. So in that car, when I started seeing that my dad made choices that set his future family up at the time that we weren't even alive at the time when my dad went to Woodstock in his 20s and then moved to California and started his own business. I was just a thought. I was an idea at the time. I didn't exist. I didn't choose my dad and my mom when I came into this world. Those were the parents that divine power decided I needed to be born to. So in that car ride, I remember what is the lesson that I'm supposed to be learning from them or lessons that I'm supposed to be learning from them, especially now in this point in time. If you believe in there are no coincidences in life, I'm here right now with my dad saying to him, what were you like before I was born? And the first thing I thought about was, wow, my dad did the best he could with what he had at the time that he had it. He actually only knew what was best based upon where he was in life. Can I accept that? Can I no longer blame him and just say, you know what, Mike, maybe it's time for you to accept and change your responsibility. And I think a lot of us shifting that perspective to ourselves. Can we let go of the fact that mom and dad did the best they could with what they had at the time they had it? Now, it doesn't mean that every choice that they made was good. But what it does mean is, is that you're letting go of the responsibility that someone else is to be responsible for the situation that you're in right now. So acceptance being that first piece. And then this one, Johnny, I think is, is a big one is forgiveness. It is so hard for us to give ourselves grace and forgiveness. And it's more so because we don't think we're worthy in the first place. So we'll, we're, we'll say, oh man, I'll forgive you, dude. You were late to dinner. And like, you know, we casually brush it off, but how can we don't forgive ourselves? Where's the grace and space that we can give ourselves in that moment in time to realize like, hey, you know what? What we're truly, what I truly accepted about my dad and what I knew about him at that time, I need to forgive myself because I was angry at him. And I carried all that anger and that frustration, that energy. And now I'm forgiving myself because we also have a tendency, especially as men, hold ourselves to a really high standard to provide and protect. And when we don't meet our own standards, we kind of implode. We get angry at ourselves that mm -hmm. we let that happen. So forgiveness of ourselves counteracts the entire idea that we're not worth it or we didn't meet the standards that what men are and what we've been told men are and the subjects and the viewpoints of all of that. Maybe it was just an easier way for me to say, you know what, Mike, forgive yourself and accept the idea that this, accept the idea that this is what it is and accept your dad for who he is too. And then can you be free from that? Mm. And that equation to me made me accept my father more of who he is because of that. That's, that's really, really powerful. And I think that's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's certainly what I've learned too. And, and something that uh, Stefano Safandos mentioned to me a, a while mm. back was like a prerequisite to forgiveness is feeling. Mm -hmm. And, and I was so angry, but I never really felt like that was um, uh, an emotion that was okay to express. I didn't even know how to express it, you know, cause I'm not an angry guy as I told myself. Mm -hmm. But because of that, then I became very apathetic and I just felt mm -hmm. very numb 
very emotionally flatlined, um, which oftentimes I just would vacillate between extreme fits of anger or rage or just total numbness. But I never really stepped into those feelings, you know, of like acknowledging, you know, how I really felt when I was little or that, like you said, the eight-year-old who really wanted his dad's love. I just, I just felt anger. And because I felt anger, I just wanted to avoid it. Um, But it wasn't until for me that I started to express some of those feelings that things opened up and I was able to, to start that healing process of forgiving my father. But that leads me into my next question for you, which is, I think one of the most challenging things for myself included, and I think for yeah. you, but you kind of express so much courage is stepping into those difficult conversations, those tough conversations mm-hmm. with dad, with mom. So many of us <laughs> have not the best relationships with mom or dad or oh, both, yeah. right? And whether they're yeah. alive or they're not, you can still heal these things. But how, what are some suggestions or what did you do or what do you talk about in the book that allowed you to have the courage to actually be like, yeah, dad, you know what? I don't know if I like you. I don't know if I respect you or you fucking hurt me. And, yeah. and, and to have him to kind of, you know, to your point, to be somewhat disconnected, it's clearly that he thought that, wait, what? You don't, yeah. you don't like me. Well, the, yeah, clearly we don't have a relationship if you actually don't know how I feel about, you know? Right. And so obviously it's a two way street, but long story short or a long question short how yeah. did you find your voice and your courage to speak up for yourself and start? Cause that's a huge part of the, the healing process too, is like asking yeah. those questions and having those tough conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, that's a great question and, and respect to you, especially for acknowledging and recognizing that anger is a feeling that you yeah. needed to feel and it manifests in so many different ways. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be rage, which is also a different variation of anger. Anger and right. rage are not the same thing. Right. I was angry too. And a lot of times I would, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cursor, so to speak. Right. So when I get angry, I love saying F word. I'll just like go off and, and just like scream profanities out of like the top, but it works. Right. That it totally works. works. That's great. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, I don't like scream into the pillow or any of that. I'm just kind of like, you know, I'll, I'll say like, I'll be like, fuck, you know, and I'll yeah. just say it like, very. <laughs> it's yeah. just kind of like that way. <laughs> um, no more pent up anger. But, you know, to go to go back to how did I find the courage for that? You know, the first thing I think it's about accepting and recognizing for yourself that the feelings that you have and the emotions that you have and the stuff that came up from your past is knowing and feeling that that's okay to Mm. be upset that things didn't turn out the way that you thought they were. Mm. But don't get caught up in the trap. I, I recognize this. Don't get caught up in the trap that if things don't work out the way that I want them to for work out, then it must not be meant for me. Well, what about this? What if things don't work out the way that you want to means also it was meant for you. Mm-hmm. So what happens if you look at both sides of that? Because remember, my dad and I, when we were in a relationship together, in talking, conversation, experiences, Two people in the same experience had different perspectives of how that experience went. Totally. Yep. His, so his was kind of more like, oh, that was a good time hanging out with dad. Mine was more like, uh, excuse me, you just, you literally did not pay attention or listen to anything I said. You were on the phone right. the entire time talking to your clients. Right. I used to go to sports games. Yeah, exactly. And see, I used to go to sports games with him. He would pick me up from school and I would go into the, I would go to like, go see the San Jose Sharks or the San Francisco Giants at the time. And we would have great seats. But every, and I, and I mean, 
when you look at the experience in itself, it was like, here's my dad picking me up, getting me Taco Bell double deckers at the time. I was like the <laughs> happiest kid in the world. And I'm like listening to Giants baseball. And I'm like, man, this is just like so cool. And here's my dad on the phone talking to a client from a 40 minute drive until we get to the ball game. We sit in our seats. My dad's texting either on his phone or he's answering the phone. And maybe every once in a while, chips in commentary. Mm. So as a kid, you're like, I'm excited to be here with my dad. Dad's kind of like, oh, I'm taking my son to a baseball game. Checking the the box. Checking the box. Exactly. So when you talk about courage, courage comes from a place of being scared and knowing it's okay to be scared, but taking action anyway. Amen. And so, and so for me, I was scared to tell him, Hey dad, I didn't like you. Hey dad, I felt neglected by you. Dad, I felt like when I joined the Marines and I came home after two tours of duty in Iraq, that was the only time that you truly, truly accepted me was when I was in a uniform and you could parade me around in front of your friends. And my son was a Marine, a combat veteran. But the moment that uniform came off, I was now just a veteran going to junior college. Mm-hmm. So where was the parade now? It wasn't yep. there. Yep. But recognizing that and understanding the fact that my dad may or may not ever take responsibility for the way that I feel, and I don't need him to, but I need to take responsibility for myself. And so courage also comes from a place of taking action for yourself. So recognizing that you're scared, taking action anyway, and then being responsible for yourself when the outcome arises, not for the outcome, when the outcome arises, because you can still take action, you could be scared and you could be totally afraid, but it may not work out for you the way that you thought it would. Can you still accept the fact that you just put your best foot forward? So here I am in this car going, you know what? I'm scared to tell my dad I don't like him. I'm scared to tell him how I feel, but I'm going to take action anyway. And he may not like it. He may tell me to piss off and like never speak to me again, but I'm okay with the result. And so I said it. And what was magical about that was in the middle of that car is my dad said there were moments in time Mike, where I would sit there and think to myself, how can I give him a better life than the one that I have? Hmm. And I think most fathers, that's all they want for their kids. They don't think about, yeah, they don't think about that. And I'm sure with your dad too, there was a lot of, I worked my entire life because we also have to like take a step back and zoom out a bit and look at generational differences. Men today, much more in touch with their feelings the walls of masculinity and the stereotypes surrounding what it means to be a man has completely been deconstructed and rebuilt back up. Yep. We have a long way to go, but the conversations are becoming much healthier. Mm-hmm. During that time period, post-World War II, when my father was born in 1946, that generation of men was told to keep their head down. You don't say anything. And if you do say something, it's because you are the man and the head of the household. No one talks but you. You're the one that manages the money. You're the one that makes decisions. So imagine being told and programmed that way your entire life. And then you have a son born in this generation who's embracing vulnerability, who's embracing masculine and feminine energies, which are not gender specific or sex specific, rather they're more energetic specific. Mm -hmm. And you're telling him and sharing emotions with him. Of course, it's going to be hard for him to understand that. Right. Right. And I think that's where the acceptance piece and the forgiveness piece and the tough conversations piece comes in, because the tough conversation was not really with my father. The tough conversation was with myself. 
How could I be courageous? How could I step into that power? How could I tell him for myself as a man moving forward and releasing the past and releasing the trauma and releasing the disappointment and the fear that I would never amount to anything in his eyes came from this place of you need to say what you've always wanted to say to him and be okay and accept the outcome, being courageous in that. And so that, that was to me was the, the big thing. That's what I wanted more than anything was I just needed to say what I wanted to say. I love how articulate you are about it now, but it Thank makes you. me wonder, did you have all that shit figured out in your mind or were you just <laughs> no. following your own intuition, right? You were kind of more following your, in, your own intuition and being like, this might be my only time with, with dad. I might as well just get it off my yeah. chest. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I, okay. I, I'll tell you this. Um, I don't think anybody has anything figured out, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and I think that's, and I think there's like a lot of freedom in embracing that when you realize like nobody does, I think yeah. people have ideas of what works and doesn't work, but nobody really has anything figured out. Right, right. So just thinking about that from that lens, I didn't have anything figured out here. I am sitting with the man that I've always been searching for love and affection from, and, you know, thinking that I had a game plan going in there. No way, man. Mm -hmm. The only game plan I had in there was like, <laughs> listen, the goal, first of all, is not to try to rip each other's heads off being in a van with each other for 11 days and then at a campground driving, you know, that's that was the main goal. Yeah. And so the second goal was I wanted to get to know my dad because maybe there was something completely hidden that he's never showed me. And I want to share this because I think this is going to be extremely powerful for people listening to this. During the end of the trip. And I'm not going to give away the end of it, but during the end of the trip, my dad and I sat down and talked about what he and I discovered about each other, which was we are more alike than we are the same. Mm -hmm. When we think we're exactly like our fathers, immediately feelings of resentment come up and disappointment. Oh God, I can't believe I act like my dad. <laughs> there was stuff that I do even to this day that I correlated to, I'm exactly like him, therefore I'm going to end up like him. Mm. And what I started realizing was I am my own man. I have my own personality traits. I've inherited certain things from my father. I've inherited certain things from my mother. Some of them are good. Some of them I'm kind of like, Ooh, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. And recognizing that I'm not exactly like him takes the responsibility off myself to feel like if I end up like him, then I'm going to hate myself. So, so when you good. say you're alike, so when you say you're alike though, I'm similar to my dad. I think certain about things. My dad's actually a really curious guy. He's a, he's a very like, he's a very curious, introspective guy. He's actually very deep too. And these were things that I discovered about him. One of the things that he said to me was, you know, Michael, I, all I wanted to do was just give you a better life than what I had. And there were nights where I was wondering how we were going to make payroll at the company. And I never told you about it. The nights that I was on the phone late, when you were sleeping when you were a kid, I never told you about that. The nights when, you know, I didn't pick you up from school. There were nights, like, no kidding. He would not be up from after school. So school had gotten out at three. I didn't get picked up from by my mom until like 536. And it was always because my mom said, your dad called. I have to come get you. He had to stay late at work. At I held on to that emotional trauma for so long being like, dad doesn't even care enough to pick me up from school. Do you know what he was doing? He was working, putting me through private school, putting me through education, giving me an, a leg up and an opportunity up in the world. And he never told me about it. 
Mm-hmm. He never once told me about it until that trip. And then that's where I started seeing my dad differently. What's interesting though, with what you bring up is I get that too. And I, and I have heard that from a lot of mm-hmm. parents, you know, yeah. on both, both sides of the aisle, if you will, that I just yeah. wanted to give you a better life than what I had. Noble. Yes. Mm-hmm. However, they're still making it about them. They're yes. not actually doing what they're, they're not even checking in with their kids to yeah. see what, what do the kids really want? Right. And so I, I hear this from, you know, friends and family, yeah. you know, like, oh, well, I'm doing this for the kids. I'm doing this for the kids. No, you're fucking not. Because if you actually checked in with the kids, the kids would want more time with you, quality time. They'd want more hugs, kisses. They want more qual- like mm-hmm. memories, right? It's not actually all that difficult to be there for their children. But I feel like kids ultimately just want to be loved. They want to be seen. They want to sure. be held, uh, known that they're, they're, they're safe, you know, to be however they want to be. And so I think it's one of those things where, again, noble, yes. And yet it's still somewhat selfish, you know, because they're doing it for their reasons, which again, like you said before, my parents, your parents, they're all doing the best they could with the tools that they've had, right? Mm-hmm but we are in a uh, unique position as, as this generation, you know, especially being yeah. at our age where we'll, you know, if you don't already have kids, as you're listening to this, you, you very well might sooner than later, right. Mm-hmm. To raise children in a way where you're really checking in with what, what they need, you mm-hmm. know, and listening to what they have to say and respecting uh, where they're coming from, even if they're a little seven-year-old or eight-year-old, right. Yeah. And making sure that they feel safe. And so I think it's it's just interesting to, to, to hear that because yes, it gives so much more perspective and yes, it allows you Mike to have the empathy for dad to understand mm-hmm. and be like, Oh, you know what? Okay. And I can now see it and respect it from where, where you are at 39, 40 hour old you are. Yeah. And yet it doesn't negate either that you were hurt when you were little, you know, sure. that you had abandonment issues or you didn't feel important, you know? So I do feel like uh, and I'm speaking to all the men who might be like, yeah, you know what? I used to be pissed at my dad, but we've got a good relationship now. We kind of work those things through. And I knew he was doing the best he could with what he had. And they kind of spiritually bypass over the fact that they were fucking hurt when they were a little boy and they still, you know, have that inside them. And so I think it's noble of you. And I think it's a great example with your book that again, you had the courage to speak up is what I'm saying, yeah. you know? No, and, and, I, and I appreciate that. No, and I, and I appreciate it. And something I want to touch on that you said I thought was really interesting. Their idea of getting a better life for you does not have to be your idea of what a better life is for you and your children. Amen. There so, you go. so nobility for them was, I'm going to go make money and put you through a school or I'm going to get you into college or I'm going to do a loan. Like I, my, my parents, and I have a family where I have a mom I have a dad, I have three brothers, and I have a stepmom. And that is the family. And then now there's the extended family from this. So it's all just a mixed bag. But my mom, my dad, and my stepmom all focused on different aspects of what they thought was a better life for their children. Mm. My mom was, I'm going to do everything I can to give my kids a chance that they don't have to worry about the sky falling. Dad was, I'm going to go make money, make sure they get the best education possible. And I'm going to do everything I can to teach them what it means to be a man. My stepmother thought education was number one in the household. Mm. And so she did everything she could while she was working, just like my mom was, to sit there and say in two different focuses. But 
helping my younger brothers with their homework, making sure that they studied for SATs. And both of my brothers went to, younger brothers, went to phenomenal schools, went to phenomenal schools. Actually, one of them just graduated from Boulder. Mm-hmm. And so this past weekend. Mm-hmm. So when you start thinking about this, your parents have this idea in their head of what a better life is. And they're not going to freaking ask you what that is. They're just right. not. Because right. they're going to tell you, you don't know what it was like growing up in the 50s and the 60s. And you're like, yes, mom, dad, stepmom, I didn't grow up in the 50s and the 60s. I wasn't, you probably weren't even thinking about me at the time. You were probably doing God knows what during that time period, which was wild, right? right. But now that, but, but what a sense of relief and freedom it is for us as men now in our early 30s, late 30s, 40s, for you guys listening out there, this is the opportunity for you right now to integrate and ask your kids, your wife, your partner, or if you're a single guy, mapping out and determining the future that you want to create yourself Mm -hmm. by now saying, hey, I don't have to follow the patterns of dad just going out and making money. And that's my quote definition of a better life. I actually have a time. I have the time right now to step into the future power of the man that I want to be, how I want to conduct my relationship, how I want to be a father. And that's where I believe the conversations around being a man and masculinity is shifting to where men are starting to realize, oh my God, if I just align myself with power, God, universe, source, and I work in alignment and cooperation with it, I can actually become whatever I want to be. I don't have to sit back and work a paradigm shift where the only way to be successful, the only way to achieve in life is money, power, fame, wealth. And we've all heard that story, but I'm telling you the generation before us, that was what they're taught. And I guarantee you, if you asked them why, yeah, they would tell you just because that's the way the world works. And this is where all of you men out there have an opportunity to ask yourself, is that truly the way that the world works? Or is that the way that they see the world? Right. It's all about perspective and shifting your relationship to all of the situations that are happening right now, especially with your parents. Can you shift that? Mm. That's so relevant. So good. And so uh, in line with what I think why I do this podcast, which is to be yeah. like, okay, we have an opportunity to actually be intentional because again, whether it be my divorce or whether, you know, yeah. whatever catalyst that uh, it might be the, the point of uh, transformation in a guy's life where they're listening to this, just feeling like life isn't going the way that they thought it would, but they're really unhappy with it and they feel stuck. Right. Mm-hmm. I think uh, this is the whole point of becoming Kings is to your point, just becoming the man that you are proud to be intentions, yes. right. Versus yes. following in line with the generational programming that's been passed along to us. Right. Along yeah. with all the other generational bullshit that comes along with it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, and uh, again, uh, why I think the the conver- the this conversation around being intentional with uh, your time with mom and dad, you know, if they're still in your life and they're and you actually have a relationship with them, and even if you don't, like it might be worth going back to it and checking mm-hmm. in on those stories that you have about yeah. uh, why or, or who you think they are, because I bet you if you start to really ask them about who they are or what experiences they had before you can remember, I bet you're going to get a lot more perspective as I imagine you did around yes. like, Oh, that's why dad, I thought I'd made up the story around it, but your story then kind of 
crumbles down when you actually get the the information from the source. Did you have any of that experience when you your dad kind of yeah. like, no, I, I did that for this reason. And for that reason, you're like, oh shit, I made up a completely different story about that. Oh, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like all, I'll be all the time. And, and you know, and I, and I talk about this, uh, the idea of generational traits and curses is that as men, we inherit traits and curses from our father and from our fathers. And mm-hmm. what that means is, is that it's split into two categories. So there's traits and there's curses and traits are basically the things that you label as good things. So mm-hmm. the good things are my dad's, my dad was specifically for me, and I'd love to ask you what you've inherited from your father after this is, you know, my dad's innately curious. He really is a passionate man. He's actually quite the romantic. My dad has like this uh, romanticism with uh, the the old West, like cowboy mm. films, like he yeah. loves that stuff. And, you know, there are times where he, he talks about um, the more wide open the land is, the more free he feels. Mm. And, you know, my, my, my dad loves God. My dad loves God. He goes to church and, you know, he believes in doing the right thing. And there, and in the right thing to him is just, just living in alignment with what he believes in. And so for me to be able to inherit that as best as I can and exemplify that, that to me is the major shift that I made where I went from a place of, oh my God, I'm just like my dad to, man, what an honor it is to be able to try to walk the path so much of these traits that I love about him and do the best that I can. Now, that doesn't mean I have to be just like him. But when you're able to walk in the same alignment of your morals and your values and trying to just do the best you can, you remove the pressure from yourself to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And in this day and age, we all think we have to be perfect, especially when the camera goes on. Get rid of that. That doesn't exist. It just yeah. doesn't exist. You are perfect right now the way that you are, whether you say something that other people might not like, or you beat yourself up, you are perfectly created the way that you are with all your flaws and all the things that you may or may not like about yourself and including the stuff that you may not like that you got from mom and dad. So the traits part to me is what you love about your parents, especially dad, mom and dad, or especially dad for the sake of this conversation. The curses piece, and this is where it gets interesting, your dad has passed stuff on to you inherently. And I believe this, and I don't, I don't have scientific proof to state this, and I'm not a medical professional, but I think God only knows why we have a DNA, we have a genetic and a DNA code that inherits certain things from our dad from the time that we were born that basically picks things up. There are certain things you picked up from your parents from the time you were little and you catch yourself. And I know every guy's done this. You shave your face the same way your dad shaves his face. You mm-hmm. talk and you walk and you think about things inherently. And if you stopped and think about like, I learned how to shave my face, but is that really the most efficient way to do it? You'd probably go, no, I just learned that from my dad. And he learned how to shave his face from his dad, your grandfather, and then mm-hmm. your great grandfather. Mm-hmm. So the curses get passed, right? And then and I'm not saying shaving your face is a curse, but if you apply that to short fuses, certain things that, you know, that keep you up at night certain Mm -hmm. things that you're beating yourself up for. I'm sure there's things about that you've inherited from your dad. You're like, oh my God, man, was your dad, you know, for you, John, was your dad a man who repressed his anger, who didn't talk much about his emotions and feelings? 100%. Yep. Yeah, right. And so there you go. And now you, at some point in this day and age, especially where you're at right now in the season of life you're in, you've gone, oh my God, where did I get that from? Right. Where did I get that repressed anger from? Now, even if you take this a step further, and I thought about this, and this was 
And I thought about this as I was probably working on this book and also learning over the last couple of months and really exploring more about the dynamics of life because I'm truly fascinated by it. Again, I get my innate curiosity from my father is if you really truly think about it from the time you were born that you are a series of walking conversations, that everything has just been total input for you. So when you talk about, you know, like I said before, that I don't know how this happens, but I just think we're all wired to pick up certain things from our fathers and our mothers through conversations and things that they do. Because we don't pick every single thing up. We only put, pick up certain things. Right. So when you talk about curses and you recognize that there's good and not so good and things that serve you and don't serve you, you have the opportunity right now as a man to break the generational curses and the cycles that have been keeping your lineage of men in your family down for years. And you can stop it right now when you start recognizing that your dad was a man just before you were born, who had other ambitions and other dreams. And he inherited certain things from your grandfather. And so when you're aware of that and you split it from traits and then curses, you start going, wow, I really don't like the fact that I don't get to feel anger anymore. I actually, I actually want to feel my emotions. I don't want to repress it down anymore. I want to bring it up to the surface. I want to be more healthy mentally. We pick up our food habits. We pick up mindset habits we pick up exercise habits we pick up all sorts of stuff from our parents so imagine now the power that you have specifically when you recognize that oh i picked up some awesome stuff from dad and not so good stuff and now i know what i'm aware of it what if i yeah. just rewired myself to do that and change the dynamic of healthy masculine relationships and also stepping into the role of what i wish to be I feel like that's the power of, of this book. Um, mm -hmm. Again, titled the, the road ahead and miles behind a story of healing and redemption between father and son. It's not just a warm, fuzzy story of like, Hey, I went on a road trip and uh, you know, my relationship with dad just magically turned better. It's really, it, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it really does sound like kind of a playbook as to uh, a bunch of, ideas and tools and strategies of, of how to, like you said, stop some of the, the generational shit that, that doesn't serve us as men. Yeah. Um, and also brings just a lot of, uh, <laughs> evolution in a positive manner in how we get to show up as men in this day and age and, and how we can kind of pay that forward and have a ripple effect, a positive ripple effect with, uh, generations to come. W would you say? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of the work that I'm, I've been doing, especially just with clients that I'm working on right now is creating a container and a space for people to come in and realize that it is time for you to live your life, not the life that your parents want for you. Mm. I mean, how many times have you built a business or you've done something, or you've dated a woman or you dated, or you've hung out with a group of friends and you hear in the back of your head, God, dad is not going to like these people or mom's not going to like the, you know, yeah, mom's yeah. not going to like the girl that I'm dating right now, but you're so happy. And so what happens is, is that we're always doing stuff with our parents in mind. Mm -hmm. And I think it serves us in a lot of ways because we feel a connectedness and the closeness to be with parents and have approval and seek approval and validation that we're making them proud. But how exhausting can it be for us specifically if that we live our life through the lens of making sure mom and dad are cool with every single thing that we do. Mm -hmm. So starting a business and you're hearing in the back of your head, oh, dad doesn't like that financial investment that I made potentially in crypto or yep. because he, he doesn't understand it 
or, you know, a conversation I had today was my dad, you know, my dad is, uh, you know, we have a, an investment property down here in Scottsdale. We bought a house mm-hmm. and uh, we're building it back up and we're planning on selling it pretty soon. And I am very passionate about freeing people from these constraints and these prisons and these self-contained yeah. prisons specifically right. through the lens of this, like mom and dad are talking in my head every single day and I can't just get out of it. And I just want to go and live my life. And I want to just accept myself and forgive myself for the times that I've beaten myself up, the days where I don't give myself enough love and attention and the grace and space. And so it's funny because I, I'm passionate about this and this is what I want to do. And he knows about this book and I told him, and you know, he's, he's so proud of me of reading this, you know, getting this book, you know, and I think that was to me, was like the, the real closing chapter with this whole, you know, the angst and the the exhaustion, the fatigue of trying to seek his approval when he was like, wow, you really, this is, this is great that you did that. You told this story. Mm. And I was like, man, book closed. It's done now. (laughs) I I can, I can die a happy man, right? Like in that Mm. stage, because I have that, but here's, what's insane about this. Even still to this day, I'm an entrepreneur. I have multiple ventures. I have an amazing group of friends and I'm blessed to consider you one of them. Amen. But I was telling my dad, like, hey, I, I'm going on this podcast with my friend Johnny King. We're going to talk about this. And he goes, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Hey, have you thought about getting your real estate license so you can go buy houses together? And I'm sitting there going like, dad, listen, I don't, I, I don't want to go get my real estate license. I want to go help people yeah, yeah. free themselves from these contained prisons of like mom and dad talking in their head about every single thing that they're doing and like not having them live in the mind of limiting beliefs. And I went on this tirade, like, I just was like, dad, a lot of people are sitting there putting so much like freaking pressure on themselves to be perfect and to thrive in an environment that they don't have to be perfect for anybody else. They exist that way just right here and now. And he goes, "Uh uh-huh. So you're like selling yourself though all the time. And I go, no, dad, I'm serving people all the time because that's what I want to do. Yeah, but real estate, and I could hear him in his head. And this is what I was talking about before generational differences. Mine is very much in the forefront of, I want to serve and help people. His is very much of, well, what about the commission that you would be leaving on the deal? And mind you, it's not market commission that he would be paying me if I bought these houses. So already, already I'm already getting, getting capped. But, <laughs> but, what we, but like, think about that for a second. And I just want people to think about this is that your parents, again, have a different lens of what they want you to be happy for. And as totally. long as you continue to give them real estate, speaking of real estate in your head and allowing them to dictate and tell you what is the right move and what's not, you will mm-hmm. never be free. <clears throat> it is only when you can release yourself from that judgment piece, from the conclusion piece, the points of views in the manner of mom and dad giving you approval and validation of all the things that you're doing, that's when you can be free. When you can let that go and say, you know what, mom, dad, you guys are, I'm blessed that you guys are my parents, but you know what? Like I'm 38 years old, man. Like let it go. Yeah. Right. Right. But that means on the same end, you can't be trying to change them either because you're quote worried about them. There you go. Yeah. You can't be worried about them because, you know, you could still love them and care for them afar and give them support and light and love. But here's the deal. If you want them to stop changing you and having real estate in their head, you can't be taking up real estate in their head, which means stay on the separate, to your point, stay on the separate side of the aisle. So Mm -hmm. um, 
so, you know, that's, that to me is what I'm so passionate on this season of life is, is that there are these narratives, these conversations that we've just inherited for so long from dad, especially yeah. dad as men, because dad is so important to us. What would it be like for us if we could break that container, if we could set ourselves free from that and say, you know, my dad is my dad and I love him just for who he is, but he will not dictate, nor will he hold me responsible and accountable with his opinions and point of views about what I do. What would your life be like if you could do that? Mm. Changes everything. It changes everything. Right. And that's the name of the game is freedom, right? Mm -hmm. That is the name of the game is freedom, personal freedom for you to go and live your life accordingly, the best that you can. And when you have a family someday, you will have the opportunity to give that freedom on. And therefore the traits and the curses are finally broken. Because freedom is now being passed down to your family, to their family. The freedom is the currency. That is the true currency. Mm. Mic drop. Perfect. Perfect time. I mean, we can obviously keep talking uh, as we often yeah, do, but uh, for those that are like, cool, I'm sold where can I get the book or when can I get the book? Yeah. So the book comes out, uh, June 14th. So it's right before father's day. Um, yep. so if you're looking for a father's day present, uh, oh, yeah. my book, my book's a good one. It might conjure up some mixed emotions and feelings for you and dad. So I don't know if you want, <laughs> if you want to buy him a book that might you know, create a little bit of tension in the room. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the but book comes way. out at, yeah, in a good way, right? But mm. you know, more so, this book is just about the healing power for people to move on with their lives and just say that you know, mom and dad love you no matter what, and mm. it's never too late for you to have something with them if you choose to. Yeah, June fourteenth book comes out. Uh, you can go to my website, mikelegori.com. That is m i k e l i g u o r i dot com, uh, and then you can also follow me on Instagram as well. I post a reel every day about acceptance, forgiveness, uh, really just inspiring people positivity to the crowded space that is the internet um so so please get in touch with me if you need any help or support would love to connect with you so thank you dude i love it i love it i love it so much um obviously speaking from experience too writing a book is no fucking easy task you know and i know (laughs) you stepped into it uh ferociously and just hammered that thing and so so cool to to Thank know you. that you're on this side of it. It's got to feel so good and it feels so great to obviously get it out and then uh, let people continue to give you feedback on how it's changed their lives, you know, but I know even yeah. in this, uh, in this instance, and I'll forward along to you guys that respond to, to me on this podcast, say, dude, that was uh, a really, really powerful podcast. And I, and I feel like that's thank what you. you've delivered. So thank you for sharing it with me, man. It's, it's oh, uh, so please, good. It was, it was such an honor to share the story with you and to, to connect with you and, Thank you for giving me the space to be able to tell the story and share it, man. It's, it's been a true honor and um, I'm just here to, here to serve man and here to help dude. So I, I yeah. but thank you, but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to you reading it too. Cause I'd love to chat with you more about what you think about it. That's exactly what I was going to say though. I really do look forward to, to reading it because I think it's going to resonate so deeply yeah. and also allow me to, to have some more perspective of how I can support guys in, in that similar area of, of life yeah. and getting it aligned, mm. um, letting go of a lot of that, uh, anger and hatred and that sort of thing. So yeah, I love it, man. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank fellas, you. give Mike a, a follow. Instagram is Mike.Ligori. Um, website, MikeLigori.com. Pick up the book uh, right before Father's Day. I think it is a really good. I don't think there could be a better gift, quite frankly. Yeah. So, hey, dude, dude, thank you so much. Thank you for hanging out. My honor, my friend.
Yeah. We'll catch up soon. Thanks guys. Yeah. As always, much love, for, much love to you, man. We'll catch up with you on the next episode of the Becoming Kings podcast. I'm your host, Johnny King. We'll talk soon. Cheers. That's it for this one. And I want to thank you for listening. Hey, if you got some good ideas from this episode and you want more, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast. And if you think others may benefit from it also, share it on social media and tag me in your post so I can say, hey, it would also mean a lot to me if you felt inclined to write a review of the show on Apple Podcasts since I read every single one of them. And if you've got any questions or topics that you'd like to recommend or really just anything that you think I could improve upon, man, I thrive on constructive feedback. So hit me up with an email at podcast at johnnyking.com. Oh, and feel free to also subscribe to my YouTube channel, connect with me on LinkedIn, and follow me on Instagram at Johnny King and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Johnny King Men's Coach. Thanks again for joining me. I'll catch you next time.